The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi-ya! Hi, this is Tamara Bondolin, colorist on Nighthawk, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 257, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, June 1st. It's a rare Sunday recording of the show. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is a milestone episode. Uh, 258 will be. Oh. Yeah, it's an anniversary. I can't remember who died. (laughs) Hopefully it was me. (laughs) My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not posing for Civil War 2 reactions on said Twitter, I am writing the comic speculator blog for wordpoint.com. You missed a prime opportunity to make a Civil War 2 reenactment joke somewhere in there. Oh. Civil War reenactment? Come on. The jokes write themselves. And my name is Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not starting an Overwatch gang without my co-host, look, if you respond to my damn text. He has not played video games with me for years. I texted you years. two days ago. <laughs> I'm uh, something something Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. All right. Something something. In this week's episode, you hear our reviews of something something and something something. After that, we'll review 10 more of this week's new comics faster than the internet social justice warriors can react to Marvel killing a black guy and a green woman in the same week during the ludicrous speed Let round. that social justice thing go, will you? God! Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. We'll be meeting with a group of super gorillas to try and ease tensions in the wake of this week's news out of Cincinnati. And talking about some of next week's comics. And finally, we're debuting a whole new segment called Power Trip, where we discuss a power set, the characters that have it, and how we think said power works. But before we get into it, let's mount our griffins, sharpen our blades, and get ready to watch Ragnar Lothbrook, better known as the poor man's Charlie Hunnam, take on an entire horde of video game bosses in Warcraft, coming to theaters everywhere this Friday. And then we can talk about this week's big news! Do you feel like it's sort of our duty to go watch the Warcraft movie? Oh, God, yeah. I'm going. Hot on the heels of Paramount Pictures announced plans for an interconnected Hasbro cinematic universe. IDW Publishing is bringing that same concept to their various licensed titles. Something we've seen coming for years, by the way. The Hasbro interconnected universe. Right. Revolution is a comic book crossover event which will meld the publisher's long-running Transformers and G.I. Joe titles with the new and upcoming Micronauts, ROM, Action Man, and... Mask. Okay, something's missing there. I'm sorry. Mama mask. Mama mama mask. Something is missing there and something was added. Yes, we're going to get to that. Okay, okay, okay. And these things will be thrown together into a rich melange of continuity. Nice use of melange. Thank you. <laughs> While this move is very similar to the one being made by Paramount Pictures, the film studio has not announced any plans to merge their already successful yet baffling Transformers franchise into the Hasbro cinematic universe. Instead, they announced plans for a film version of the obscure 80s toy line, The Visionaries. <laughs> now, Matt, I don't know about you, but Knights of the Magical Light fans are getting a raw deal here. They are, right? I mean, wasn't Visionaries originally part of this? In in the movies, yes, but there is no Visionaries comic. So okay, My only thought is that maybe 
the movie is shifting gears to, and they're going to set the visionaries like in medieval times or something. I don't know. Well, I don't know shit about the visionaries, so I don't know if it's like old timey or sci-fi or fantasy or what. It was sort of like super sorcery knights. I, I mean, know they were knights in armor. I know they wear armor with like yeah. hollow foil. Yeah, and they would shoot their like spirit animal, like sort of like, Marvel, sort of like Care Bears, Marvel trading cards, hologram technology yeah, built like, in, like badass Care Bears, <laughs> badass basically. Care Bears. <laughs> According to IDW's Chris Royale. He says the Revolution series builds out of the detail that was introduced in IDW's first ever issue of Transformers in 2005. I don't mm, know what that means. I don't believe it. So to finally be able to build upon the various story elements we've seeded over the years is a blast. We've been working toward a full-fledged universe for some time, and it's great fun to be able to finally bring it to vivid life, especially since it allows us to give the world new titles like the very requested Mama Mask, Thank as you. well as some exciting new books still to be announced. Who's requesting Action Man? I don't know. Really? Uh, British people. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so I read Action Man number one. Or no, I, um, there was a preview of Action yeah. Man number one in the back of something. I uh, In the back of uh, the free comic book day ROM book. Okay. Action Man is essentially the British version of the 12 inch G.I. Joe right. army dolls from the 60s. Right. Made by the same people. But they never. Well, maybe they maybe they did it, but it didn't take off as as big. But G.I. Joe was soldiers and Action Man was like spies. He's kind of a spy. Yeah. I remember we had a couple of them when we worked at Krypton. Somebody yeah. brought him in used and nobody cared about it. And the Action Man comic preview looked pretty good. Okay. I, I'm, I think it's going to be a good book. Revolution, the series, kicks off in September. It will be twice a month. Five issues written by Cullen Bunn and John Barber, who uh, John Barber does the Transformers books, right? He does work on the Transformers books, yes. And it will be illustrated by Fico Osio, okay. which I think is a spell from Harry Potter. Okay. You wave your wand and you yeah, go, yeah, yeah. Fico Osseo. And your friend turns into a bug. Yeah. yeah. The ongoing Transformers, Transformers more than meets the eye, Transformers tell all are one. Why? Rom, Micronauts, Action Man, and Mama Ma Mask will all have tie-in issues as well as a brand new G.I. Joe series written by Aubrey Sitterson with art by Giannis Milono Giannis. He's great. I really like him. Yeah. With that said... Somebody will care about this. I don't think it will be me. I mean, there's a part of there's like 10 year old Joe Patrick is in there somewhere going. Yes. Oh, man. Because didn't you have a bunch of toys? And yeah. But doesn't this kind of feel like artificial demand at its best? I mean, it's definitely pandering. Yeah. Right. But who didn't have their different types of action figures as a kid and pretend that sure. they all fought each other? Sure. I don't know. It might be fun. But as like an ongoing, like, yeah, serious I, I I don't know if this lasts more than 16 months, I'll be pretty shocked. Well, it's a five issue miniseries. No, but I mean like the whole but the interconnected I'm universe. the whole idea. <laughs> I'm saying we'll see the shebang. If we'll you see. Will. We'll definitely give it a try. In Star Wars news, according to the Hollywood Reporter, Disney executives have ordered reshoots following a screening of the upcoming Rogu One, a Star Wars story. The film, directed by Godzilla's Gareth Edwards, reportedly skews more toward a war film than a Star Wars film, which is funny because Star Wars has the word war in the title. It's right there. <laughs> the additional scenes are said to inject some more levity into the film and to, quote, restore a sense of fun to the adventure. The report also adds fuel to the rumor that Alden Ehrenreich may make an appearance as young Han Solo. Thanks to the reshoots. Rogue One is set in the time just previous to the original Star Wars and details a quest to steal the Death Star plans. Joe, 
would it really have been so bad to have a Star Wars film that doesn't exactly feel like Star Wars? No, and I think that was kind of the beauty in the idea right. of these little anthologies, these side anthology films. They could have done any kind of genre. They could have done like a horror movie set yeah. in the Star Wars universe. Well, uh, and I, I, I'll say this. Just judging from what we've seen in the trailers, this looks like a suicide mission and it doesn't look like it ends happily. Right. I'm okay with that. I'm okay yes. with it. Like I would have been totally fine with a different sort of story yeah. set in the universe of Star Wars. But I think Disney is just so terrified of ruining the good thing they have going that they're just going to like stamp on any sort of difference. Well, the other thing to keep in mind is that reshoots happen all the time. It's they not do. that big Absolutely. of a deal. According to the Hollywood Reporter, they brought in Simon Crane, who worked as a second unit director or stunt coordinator. I don't know if that means one or the other or both <laughs> for such films as Jason Bourne and Edge of Tomorrow and Quantum of Solace. Never I, saw that one. I liked all those movies. I love Edge of Tomorrow. They were all really good. According well, Jason to Hollywood, Bourne's not out yet. But Hollywood Reporter went on to say Crane's involvement likely means that some of the reshoots will involve retouching action sequences. So I don't know. This seems like two different messages here. We've heard that like they want to lift the tone a little bit, make it not so dark. And they're redoing some of the action, which I don't think this is the end of the world. I don't think it's like the Suicide Squad when they said, oh, this is the meanest, darkest, unfunnest (laughs) movie ever made. Let's do something funny with it, please. Well, it's like you said, reshoots have happened since the dawn of cinema. They happen all the time. And we don't usually hear about them so there's no real reason to be alarmed by it right i don't want them to be afraid to tell a different kind of story i agree i agree to let these different directors do their own thing like if they're gonna make a boba fett movie i want it to be like a badass like spy movie almost and if it's not a four quadrant film i'm just not interested like blue sky thinking all the way (laughs) what the is four quadrant even mean (laughs) speaking of movies variety is reporting that academy award-winning Actress Brie Larson, you may have seen her in Room. Not The Room, just That's a different movie. (laughs) Brie Larson is in talks to play the title role in Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel movie. Matt, you've seen her making out with super vegans and trapped in a room with a bratty kid, but can Larson fill Captain Marvel's tights? I don't know. She's kind of a little girl. And Captain Marvel... And I don't mean like I'm not trying to, you know, talk down to her by calling her a little girl, but she is a small person. And Captain Marvel is a big woman. I don't know that Captain Marvel is necessarily like a I'm not saying a stocky. Person. I'm not saying she's necessarily stocky, but they draw her large. She's like six feet tall. She stands toe to toe with Captain America. I mean, tall, maybe. Yeah, she's got wide she's shoulders. Not, she looks like, badass. Carol Danvers, when she was originally introduced, she was just like a normal person. I get that. Not she worked for the Daily Bugle. But she was both like a agree, regular person. Not so much anymore. I think they exaggerate her because she's a superhero. Maybe. I don't know. I just, and we, let's keep in mind, we said the same thing about Gal Gadot, who's playing Wonder yeah, Woman. and she was pretty good. And then we saw her as Wonder Woman, and she looked pretty badass. So, I mean, they make Tom Cruise well, look I think tall. we said the same, I don't, I, I don't know if it was so much the physical thing, but we said the, a very similar thing about Chris Evans, where we're like, oh God, he's going to be Captain America. Yeah. Like, everybody seems like a weird- showed up a mountain of a man, you know? Everyone seems like a weird choice until you actually see it in action. Right. And as somebody on the Periscope just wisely pointed out, has Marvel ever really gone wrong in their casting? No, no, I don't think so. I just, I guess, and I don't think Brie Larson is a bad actress. I think she's very good. She's just not the Carol Danvers that I was picturing. I was picturing someone a little tougher, you know, like. But we don't know if she can be tough. That's true. 
The 26-year-old Larson is reportedly the studio's first choice, and the actress is, quote, leaning towards playing the part. How do they know that? <laughs> well, because they're going to, like, the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier is going to drop a dump truck full of money on her, so... <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson's going to walk out in the eye patch. Let's not forget, she's no stranger to comic book films. She appeared as Envy Adams in Edgar Wright's Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and no mention was made of any other contenders for this role. Kevin Feige, the Marvel Studios head honcho. Feige. Feige <laughs> is his name. Okay. <laughs> I like Feige. Okay. He said that this this is kind of following along the timeline that he gave he said that okay. we were probably going to start hearing some casting rumors here heading into the summer and hopefully by the fall they'd be ready to be to make some actual announcements real quick give them a little bit for those that don't know give us a little background on captain marvel captain marvel aka carol danvers is an air force pilot whose dna is fused with that of an alien during an accident whoops yeah i know it happens to the best <laughs> of us the resulting alteration imbues her with amazing superpowers. Uh, in the comic books, that alien in question is Marvel's first Captain Marvel, the Cree man known as Marvel. Marvel, 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 Marvel. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> the Cree have already been established in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Guardians of the Galaxy's Ronan the Accuser, and in this season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they showed up big time less than a day after Variety's report. The Hollywood Reporter named the Babadooks, Jennifer Kent, and Whale writers Nikki Caro as potential directors for the film. I, I didn't did, see either of these I movies. loved the Babadook. It was really scary. Yeah, that's why I didn't see it. Good stuff. Yeah, because you're a crybaby. So, I mean, do you think that either of those choices would be good? You probably don't know this Whale writer I mean, person. we've only seen very little of this director's work, but, I mean, I really like the Babadook. I don't know. I'm saying if they think she can do the job, I'm trusting Marvel. And she has made two very good movies that people liked. So why not? I mean, I guess we're just wondering here in the meantime and speculating. Obviously, Captain Marvel needs to happen and happen soon because we need a female driven well, movie and it doesn't need to be the Black Widow. So the Captain Marvel movie isn't scheduled for release until 2019. But Variety is pointing out that Marvel Studios wants to cast the role as early as possible Probably to include them in earlier films, similar to what they did with Spider-Man and Black oh, yeah. Panther in Captain America Civil War. I'm guessing she shows up in Black Panther because there's rumors there's going to be like 30 different characters popping up. Oh, there. ding dang. Yeah. That's a lot of dudes. And lady dudes, of course. I trust Marvel with this. This is certainly not bad news. I like Brie Larson as an actress. Yeah. My first choice, like I wanted Emily Blunt to play Captain Marvel because I think she's f***ing tough. I think she would have been great because, yeah, Blunt, I mean, she just looks like a badass. She looks like the kind of woman that could you up, you know? is the big news for this week if you'd like to discuss these stories and everything you think we missed hit us up on the big news section of the th forums where i've posted video of me in a top hat and cape sneaking up on a terrified joe patrick doing my best ba ba duke duke Sunday, the president of the Give Kara Thrace the role of Captain Marvel Society, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week. That's not everyone's true. favorite digital nerd sanctuary, the Teach and Forums. Joey, we had a little burp in the order of the answer of the week. Why don't you tell the kids what's going on with it? Yes. Point of order. 
Everybody knows that her real name is Katie Sackoff. She's a real person. Kara uh, Thrace. Not to me, was she's her not. character's name on <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. And I am not one of the people that thinks that she should be Captain Marvel. Well, I don't care if they make Captain Marvel's real name Starbuck, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so we had uh, some tech issues last week, and the show was very, very late. That was, I apologize, computer farts. And as a result, we did not do the answer of the week last week. That was going to be the comic book tattoos question, which we are going to record today. So we are extending the current question of the week until Friday, June 10th. That question is courtesy of D Murray, who's watching us right now. If you could only recommend one definitive story, single issue, miniseries, creator run or event for someone to read, what would it be? Imagine that person has a four hour flight. So not like an infinite amount of time, not like any 60 issue runs here. Right. They have time to kill and you can give them the entire thing to read in one shot. What would that story or like be Four good sittings? We'll say. Right. Yeah. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, June 10th to get us your answer. You can call the Ziggurat hotline. That number is 402-819-4894 and leave us a message. If you are not so mad that you can't even see straight because we skipped a week, you can send us an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. But keep it under two minutes or you will get cut off. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full entire answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. And then... You're going to tune in next Thursday, where I promise you will hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. These fools on Periscope are recommending some real stinkers. Fear itself. Oh. Superman grounded. Oh. (laughs) I'm going to say they're uh, joking. (laughs) Those head shakes were for both of you. You know who you are. Yeah, I would say you could read Superman grounded in one sitting because it really didn't end. So you could just like stop where J. Michael Straczynski (laughs) stopped and be like, oh, that didn't go anywhere. It's review time in the ziggurat where Matt and I are still getting rebirthed. It hasn't stopped for two damn weeks. (laughs) Two weeks of labor. (laughs) We're going to rate and review these comics based on our buy it, skim it, or leave it scale. Matt Bomb, what do you got for us? This week, I was pleased to pull the kicking and screaming. This is not okay. Infant that is Batman Rebirth from the loins of Jeff Johns. This is Batman Rebirth special from DC, written by Scott Snyder and Tom King, with art by Michael Jannon. Thirty-two pages, and they drew the damn line at two ninety-nine. As you know, last week Jeff Johns' water broke, and Dan Didio rushed him to Star Labs for the rebirth of the DCU. A week later, and the first of the rebirth heroes are crawling out of his womb. Here, God Almighty, right, gross, gross, right? Here, Snyder and King co-write a Bat story that sets up the feel of the newly rebirthed Bat family, and it doesn't start with a huge conspiracy that will rock Gotham to its very foundation, or a shocking moment forced into Batman's past that will rock the Dark Knight to his very foundation. Nope. This is just a Calendar Man story. A villain that I can't remember seeing outside of a cell in Arkham for quite some time. Like most Bat fans, I enjoyed Scott Snyder's run on the Cape Crusader. But I don't think you can argue that it's time to return to some old school Bat stories. Batman arguably has the best rogues gallery in comics. And rather than adding to the stable, I really like that King reintroduces a B-lister like Calendar Man and 
gave him a new really creepy power. Super <laughs> creepy. Yeah. That, I don't remember that being his deal. That wasn't. This is new. There's a very poorly written entry on the Calendar Man's wiki that I'm going to edit and fix after <laughs> this that explains it. Good. King also rescues Duke Thomas from the pages of the canceled We Are Robin series and sets up a new role for the character but not as Robin. I want to see what they're going here. Oh, who is he? What's up with I that? don't know yet. <sighs> this issue serves to set a new tone for bats and it does a really great job without much dialogue or narration. There's a really nice scene of Bruce Wayne working out while talking to Lucius Fox, where we actually see Wayne smiling again. That was kind of ridiculous. It though. was, but I, like, you know what? I liked it. Lucius. <laughs> I think Lucius would have a team of like psychiatrists and orderlies in here <laughs> tying that dude down to a bed. Oh, compared to what he does on a nightly basis? Yeah, that but was nothing. Lucius doesn't know that. I think in the comics, Lucius does not know that. No, he does. I don't think so. Yeah, he does. I don't think so. This Batman is still going to be dark and mysterious, but he didn't come off as a sociopathic asshole of the new 52. Lay it on us, listeners. In the comic books, does Lucius Fox know that Bruce Wayne is Batman? I think he does. I don't think he does. I'm still not crazy about the yellow outline of the bat symbol, but the design of the new bat suit is definitely more relaxed than Jim Lee's cyber crustacean of the new 52. <laughs> Artist Michael Jannon seems to get better every time I see his work and his art here is nothing short of amazing. The first spread page featuring the calendar man shooting at Batman with the bottom panels framed in the bat symbol was just simply stunning and set the tone for the whole rest of the issue. You know, it kind of reminded me of J.H. Williams. Very much so. uh, With the Batwoman stuff. Very much so. Colorist June Chung gets huge props here, too. She departs from the dark, shadowy look of the bat books we've seen for the past few years and brings bright washes of subdued colors. It's it's a very refreshing change. I love spread pages that feature the bat cave and Janin and Chung nail it here. The cave is still dark and mysterious, but the glowing lights give it a sci-fi feel instead of a dark dungeon that Batman's been brooding in during the new 52 There's nothing entirely new here, and that's not a bad thing. I understand how an amazing writer like Scott Snyder wants to put his stamp on a character like Batman, but that same stamp can lead the character away from their core. King seems to bring a lighter hand to his storytelling, and I'm really excited to see Batman return to fighting his classic villains with style and an occasional smile. Huh? I'm giving Batman Rebirth a buy it. I agree. I agree completely with what you said. There's nothing new here, but of all of the titles in the New 52, there wasn't anything inherently wrong no. with the Batman books. I'm not saying it was it was terrible. I'm just saying they kept going darker and darker right. and darker. But what I'm saying is you might not have liked all of them. Like, I, I didn't read Detective Comics for years and, and things like that. Sure. But... As a concept, Batman was pretty constant. They didn't really do anything too different with him. No, this reminds me of what Brian Michael Bendis, where he led Daredevil before Mark Wade came in and brought it back to like a more fun superhero title. It was still Daredevil, but the tone was definitely different. This is still definitely Batman, but it's not as dark and nightmarish as it's been. Yeah. For a long time. And that's kind of nice. I mean, it did have some darkness. That Calendar Man stuff was gross. It was disgusting. But... Like you said, you know, him doing one-armed pull-ups off the edge of the building in broad daylight. (laughs) I mean, that's just like a goofy, like, it made me smile. Yeah. It was a nice moment. I will say this. I don't really care about Duke. I will say if there was one thing to care about in the We Are Robin book, 
it was Duke. And well, I don't sure mind, out of all of them, yes, yeah. but and I don't mind them putting a black character into a bat book like this. I don't have a problem with this it at makes all. Sense as opposed to oh, it's Lucius Fox's nephew that we never knew about, <laughs> right. and we're gonna put him in a boxing robot or but something. I, mean, I don't know, you know. But Duke Thomas is also a character that we'd never heard of before. No, but they established him in another series at least sure. first. I get my my complaint. You want Orpheus to come back? <laughs> oh, Orpheus, Jesus Orpheus Christ. Sucked. He did suck. Uh. My biggest complaint, I think, about Snyder's run on the Batman books is that he kept introducing protégés. Yes. And And not just protégés, but bad guys, too. Right. But, I mean, we already have five different Robins. Yes. And the best rogues gallery, probably, in comics. Right. And we've already got got four or five established Robins, half of which are barely being dealt with right in the stories we were getting up or until are, up until now or gone altogether and you keep adding new characters for batman to train and and take under his wing it's like yes but i want to i want to see what's going on with tim right right if, if this is there also going to be a detective comics rebirth special yes i believe because so. i kind of because there's not going to be an action comics actually you know what i don't think there is because it just said next is batman number one right I kind of viewed this as like the rebirth lead in to all of the Batman books. I think so. And they didn't do anything to touch on what's going to happen in anything other than Batman. But I think that's also kind of okay. They're not spreading it too thin and trying to do everything. They're just saying, look, you're going to notice a slight change in the tone of the main character sure. that will be in all these and, books you know, and now we'll go into those books you know th- these are not really complaints about this particular issue i think we'll get there with our next review <laughs> i think we're gonna right. touch more on what you're talking about right. in our next review it's just uh, duke is a fine character sure and i'm interested to see where he goes i don't care about him as much as i care about other characters that have already been long established not only long established and ignored but recently brought back right and ignored and ignored <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we had a we had a good run with uh the return of a spoiler and cassandra kane in batman and robin internal yeah and here we are back with this brand new guy i don't know we'll see okay but the book i liked it i thought it was good it made me smile it was lighter in tone but still very much batman yeah the art was gorgeous the batman books weren't broke no but they're still fixing them a little bit. I'm excited to try more of them now than I was from before. Like, I didn't care about Detective That's Comics before. That's a success, then. It's a success. I'm giving it a buy. Okay. Let's talk about a book that probably was pretty broken. Why don't you tell us about Superman's yeah. Rebirth? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so this is also from DC Comics, written by Pete Tomasi and Patrick Gleason, with pencils by Doug Monkey. Inks by Jaime Mendoza. Both of these books were 32 pages for $2.99. Okay. I was super drunk when I wrote this. Cool. So we'll see if it comes together. When last we saw the new 52 Superman, he had exploded into a pile of ash. A in very neat pile of ash, though. That still a, looked like it. A body-shaped <laughs> yeah. pile of ash. It still very much looked like it. In Superman number 52, we pick up here after the funeral with his remains interred in Metropolis only to find a pair of gray bravers out to steal what's left of the man of tomorrow, but for very different reasons. That grave remind you of anything? Well, I mean, it's it's the same. It is lifted straight out of Batman v Superman. Oh, what are you talking about? It's the big shield that they built at, at the Did end. Did they do that? Yeah. In the very end, when Superman died, they put a big shield where he died. I thought they buried him in Smallville. They buried him in Smallville, but they put a big shield on the place that he died. Oh, I see. I blocked that out. I don't yeah. remember that. 
Yeah, it looked exactly like this. Lana Lang is trying to make good on a promise she made to Barry Clark next to his parents while a very different Man of Steel fruitlessly attempts to find a way to resurrect his counterpart because it happened for him. Oh, I shouldn't happen for this guy. Yeah. And that made total sense to me. It worked on General Zod in the movie. Yeah, right. You put him in the slime, you say a couple things, but bam <laughs> bam <laughs> Tomasi and Gleason spend most of this issue reestablishing the history of the previous Superman from before the New 52, since he's going to be the main presence in the super titles going forward. We see his death at the hands of Doomsday and his subsequent resurrection, complete with red trunks and a mullet. First appearance, I believe, of the Red Trunks yeah. since the reboot of I think so, yeah. the DC Universe. But they were also talking about the previous you. Yes, they were. Right. And this is all reimagined through the art style of Doug Mankey and Jamie Men- uh, Jaime Mendoza. This is also why I think the new 52 Doomsday should be called Boomsday. And he should have a big boom. Boomsday. <laughs> right? <laughs> he should dress like Ludacris in the Fast and the Furious movies, too. <laughs> <laughs> Boomsday, sucker! <laughs> Tomasi and Gleason inject some decent character moments through the issue as the older Superman learns more about the younger Superman's motivations thanks to his childhood friend Lana. There's a, some sweet moments where they go to the Fortress of Solitude and Superman... It's going to be so confusing referring to different Superman. I know. Bearded Superman sees that he's got... Superman and Super 52. Let's Superman and Super 52. Superman goes to the Fortress of Solitude and he sees that unlike in his own fortress, Super 52 had statues of both his Kryptonian parents and his Earth parents. Yes. You know how in the in the fortress, there's always like Jor-El and Lara like holding up the planet. Right. The big statues. They had Ma Pa Kent right there as well. And that was kind of a touching thing. And they're holding up Kansas. They're holding up the, a Kansas-shaped piece of marble. Art-wise, I think it's a great-looking book. There were moments, though, that I thought the art was slipping a little. Yeah, this was definitely not Doug Mankey's best work. Well, but then it would be immediately followed by a beautifully detailed two-page spread. So I'm chugging yeah. this up to maybe some inconsistent inking okay. from Mendoza. But... It only happens here and there. Overall, I think it's pretty well drawn. So just like Donald Trump, you're blaming the Mexican. Yes. Okay, gotcha. Even though he's probably born, you know, in Indiana, just like that judge that Donald Trump yelled. Look, <laughs> I, hey. I get it. You want to make America great again. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Make DC Comics great again. Yeah. <laughs> but here's where this all falls down for me. In DC Rebirth number one, we're explicitly told by Wally West that the new 52 is quote unquote our DC universe, but with a decade of history and relationships removed. If that's true, how can it be that there are two supermen with distinct histories? Why not take this opportunity to streamline the continuity of the Superman we already had? Okay. Instead of adding a doppelganger into the mix. Well, keep in mind, what did uh, Mr. Oz say? It's true. None of you are who you think you are. And I'm, I'm going to get to that thought here in a second. Okay. As much as I want to think that I'm reading about my Superman again, the presence of two timelines muddies the waters and everything feels kind of off. No one knows this bearded Superman in this universe. He's a stranger. He's an outsider. He's not the heroic inspiration returned to his former stature in the DCU. Like you pointed out with the Mr. Oz stuff, maybe it will all be explained or adjusted as this overall story progresses. But... 
editor's note. Mr. Oz appeared and spoke to the pre-New 52 Superman in the DC Rebirth special. But right now, I just don't know how to feel about it. As much as I loved the DC Universe Rebirth one-shot, the jury is still out for me when it comes to the Man of Steel. I'm giving it a skim it. You know what this felt like to me? Tell me. This felt like Superman 53, not Superman Rebirth number one. You're right. It this, felt like yet another new version. Yeah, well, not even. It just felt like a tacked on ending to the last Superman. Comic. Right. That's all it felt like. And that's why I think that they should have just taken the Superman. We if they're going to keep going forward with the timeline of the new 52. Right. And just reveal, oh, all these things have been missing. Sure. Take that character and make him more like the original Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just be like, oh, my God, I was totally confused as to who I actually was or something. Right. Oh, Lois is my wife. What have I been doing all this time? Right. You know, or something like that. Or have him fall in love with Lois and they get married or Or, or not. And that would have been fine. Or whatever. Acknowledge the past and move forward if that's what you want to do. Yeah. But don't shoehorn the past into this rebooted version. Yeah. I will say Batman Rebirth did a good job, like we said, of gently... Re, sort of rebirthing the character right and and saying it's, it's not gonna change that much it's uh, it's not broken and we're just gonna do it a little differently whereas superman is just like more confusion right and <laughs> so now we've got two supermen yeah we've got two loises yeah and it's all just a kind of confusing one is gonna be a super lois i guess and mm. i think the younger lois from the new 52 is superwoman and so the too. older lois from the previous universe is ma is Kent lois yeah, right, it's just lois yeah. So I don't know. Ma L, I guess. (laughs) I guess my bottom line is that they've got some work to do. Yeah. To make this work again. And right now it's not quite working. I've given it a skimming as well. So that is a double buy it for Batman Rebirth and a double skim it for Superman Rebirth. Joe, I know how much that hurts you. Now it's time for you mellowed out Cape Crusaders and bearded Kryptonians to play critic. So head over to the THN forums at thnforums.boards.net and tell us what you thought of these comics. Not to be outdone by DC's rebirth, Marvel also went back to the well of what made their characters great and gave fans what they want dead bodies yeah and in true horror movie fashion the black guy always dies first soon followed by a green woman (laughs) needless to say the ever offended millions of knee-jerk nerds dropped their crusades of the moment to focus their care bear stares at civil war 2 number one that is no less than two references to care bear stare in this show i know i don't know what that is now join matt and i while we review 10 more of this week's comics before the puritanical get along gestapo can burn every existing copy during the ludicrous speed round ludicrous speed go the Shadow, colon, The Death of Margot Lane, number one, from Dynamite. One of my favorite double threat creators, Matt Wagner, writes and draws this Shadow adventure, and it's been too long since I've seen this guy's art. Wagner is a master of the Shadow's character and voice, bringing a dark Sherlock Holmes with guns tone to Lamont Cranston. It does feel a little silly when the Shadow is running and laughing after screaming, The Shadow knows! Ha! Marco doesn't bite it here, but Wagner sets up a great shadow mystery with his plucky firecracker sidekick, Margo, who packs a hell of a right cross. For now. Anyway, bye! 
try it. All right. <laughs> Green Lanterns, Rebirth, number one from DC. They did it, Joe. They fixed Green Lantern. Hell uh, yeah. Jeff Johns and Sam Humphreys usher in a new era for Green Lantern that feels a whole lot like the old one. Don't get me wrong, I'm glad Hal got a haircut, hung up his trench coat, and is back with the core where he belongs, and I think it'll be fun to focus on the two new rookie lanterns on Earth, but a lot of it feels really familiar. There's yet another new ancient power that no one knew about, and the god damn red lanterns are still trying to kill everyone's buzz you hate those guys i don't hate the red lanterns i'm just so sick of the multicolored lantern core yeah it's been like 10 years yeah. of this garbage i think now we just go okay guys we're all green or you're fired give me green give me yellow the rest can give it a goddamn rest for a while ethan van skyver and ed bennis do an admiral job on the art and i'm interested in simon and jessica enough to stick around for a bit but I'd be lying if I said I was excited about it. I thought it was kind of boring. Yeah, it was kind of boring. Green Lantern's Rebirth, number one, gets a skim it. Skim it for me, too. Bolts, number one from Danger Zone. Say what you will about Bolts, you can't call it boring. James Why Not, and that's his real name, W-H-Y-N-O-T, furiously scribbles this... Is it, though? I think so. <laughs> this cyber-paranormal Western murder orgy of a comic. I honestly don't even know how to approach this review, other than to pause the music here... And play a bit of the perfect soundtrack for the black, white, and red spaz attack I read. This, ladies and gentlemen, is Magruder Grind. The dialogue was a little clunky with cussing that sounded as if it were from the mouth of sixth graders at times. And I'm sure there was a story, but it got lost in the mess of scribbled violence. If you're looking for a good example of what meth can do for comic creators, look no further. <laughs> with all that said, I can't say I hated this. You can't argue that James Why Not has an original vision in the spirit of Kevin O'Neill and Pat Mills' martial law comics of the late 80s. But the dialogue in Bolts needs some work. Give it a skim it. This is definitely one of those times where this comic is not for everyone. That's Joe Patrick would say. Chasing Hitler, number one from Jungle Boy Press. She did it. Oh, 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 oh. that's Tarzan boy. That's <laughs> Tarzan boy. <laughs> she did it with the help of her family and an army of faithful Kickstarter supporters. Young Haley Nitz made good on her goal to self-publish the first chapter of Chasing Hitler. And I might be a little biased here. But I loved it. The script by Haley and her uncle Jai moves at a brisk pace, but it still takes the time to depict Hitler as an actual human being with a complex range of emotions. It's a far cry from the cold monster we're used to seeing in documentaries and history books. The art by Jethro Morales is crisp and his layouts are fun. The backgrounds tend to drop out a little bit more than I like, but I really enjoyed his art style. I'm not sure how or where you can actually find Chasing Hitler number one at the moment. I think only backers have the digital version. But seek this out and buy it. Editor's note. You can hear an interview with Haley about Chasing Hitler on TH in episode 243. Chavo Guerrero's Warrior's Creed number one from Lion Forge. So it's Guerrero's with an apostrophe and then Warrior's plural. Just for clarification. Yeah. <laughs> Chavo Guerrero is an actual wrestler from the famous Guerrero family. Here he's reimagined as a superhero running headlong into a prophecy that will change his life. Like the real wrestler who retired not long ago, this story picks up with Chavo's retirement, but rest assured, his real fight is just beginning. Wrestling comics based on actual wrestlers are never good. <laughs> but this one might be the exception. 
Fabian Nicesia you writes. You those all those chaos comics starring oh. The Undertaker? <laughs> yeah, that was really something. Fabian Nicesia writes, and Eduardo Nunez, along with Levo Ramondelli, handle art in a fun story by creators that obviously love professional wrestling. There was both an English and Spanish version of Chavo Guerrero's Warriors Creed, and I'm giving them both a buy it. It was fun. All right. And all ages, too. Kids can read this. They'll like it. Oh, fun. The Revisionist, number one from Aftershock. Time Cop meets Prison Break Finally. In, this, in this new sci-fi series from Five Ghosts, Frank Barbieri, and the Massive's Gary Brown. I love Gary Brown. A model prisoner about to be murdered by his fellow inmates gets roped into an organization that preserves the timeline. I read that as raped. I know. No. <laughs> that preserves the timeline by manipulating historical events. All right, you've been raped in. Here's what we're doing. <laughs> I often think about how these well-known creators that Aftershock snags make time for these little side projects, and it makes me wonder if maybe some of these projects are old pieces of work. That never quite manifested. Well, that could be the same anyway. Gary Brown is right now drawing a book as we speak. Yeah. Black Road. Yeah. So I doubt he's doing two books at once. I'm, who knows? The only reason I bring this up is because the art by Gary Brown seems like it could be a little underdeveloped compared to his work on books like The Massive and the current Black Road. Still, it was a fun read, if not a little bit by the numbers. And dated or not, Brown's art is a great fit for the story. The Revisionist, number one, gets a strong skim it. Green Arrow Rebirth, number one from DC. The goatee. I have thoughts about this comic book. <laughs> the goatee returns to the Emerald Archer, and so does Black Canary, for reasons as of yet unknown. The two don't remember they were married, and Black Canary's band is still in continuity, but there's obviously a spark of romance here. For reasons yet unknown, which I guess is nice. <laughs> More importantly, Ollie doesn't sound like the Punisher meets Batman, and he seems to suddenly be a liberal socialist hippie again, which is great. But this must feel like a fairly violent change for readers of the new 52 Green Arrow. All 20 of them, I guess. The art by Otto Schmidt was the real star here, instantly distancing the book from the gritty photorealism that it was desperately trying to ape from the CW's Arrow TV series that I couldn't hate more. This is definitely closer to the Ollie I remember. He's still de-aged and living in Seattle, but... It's a good start. New writer Ben Percy still has some explaining to do, but for the first time in a long time, I'm giving Green Arrow a strong skim it. Well, but Green Arrow, there was literally a scene where uh, Black Canary and Green Arrow do something fist thing. amazing, and they both go, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> like make fists, yeah. Uh, like, like, like Blade, what? like Wesley Snipes in the Blade movie. Was, yeah! <laughs> It was, it was fun, and the art was great. Yeah. Welcome back. Number eight from Boom. This actually came out last week, and I just couldn't get caught up in time to review it then. Cheater. But I'm caught up now, and I have to tell you, this was an amazing ride with plenty of unexpected twists. Writer Christopher Sabella and artist Claire Rowe, who I believe is one of your new Birds of Prey artists, okay, deliver a satisfying conclusion to the story of Molly and Tessa while leaving the door open to further explore the concept of reincarnated soldiers destined to fight a war they don't fully understand. There were a couple of things, uh, a couple of story elements here that I don't think quite came together, but I love the series overall, and hey, maybe that's for the sequel. Okay. This concluding issue in particular was a blast. Welcome back, number eight, gets a huge buy-in from me. Civil War 2, number one from Marvel. It's a lot to unpack here, but I'm going to do it fast. 
The Ultimate Spidey team of writer BM Bendis and David Marquez kicked the Civil War into high gear with a fight scene so big it kills two beloved Marvel characters! Off panel. We finally meet the Inhuman that can see the future before it happens. Joe, real quick, can you name four other Marvel characters with future sight? Destiny. Okay. Starhawk from the Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Madam Web. I was going to say Madam Web. And Mantis. Is there any reason why we have not had this story before with any of those characters? I don't know. Other <laughs> than they're not inhumans. Yeah. <laughs> kind of makes you wonder why Tony and the gang haven't had this discussion or knockdown drag out debate before, huh? Regardless, Marquez is wonderful in our here, featuring big splash pages overflowing with heroes, and Bennett's dialogue is always quippy and at times laugh out loud funny. But again with the inhumans if marvel's gonna make us care about the inhumans they've got to make them interesting again first bendis took a real chance with the storytelling here essentially having tony learn of the death of a fellow avenger in a fight with a big cosmic baddie in a flashback narrated by carol danvers you can see this fight in the free comic book day this one shot talking about which is what i was complaining about yes. when we reviewed the zero issue and for the most part it worked Maybe this will be the Bendis event that doesn't feel like four issues stretched into eight. There was certainly plenty of action here, but the story is still feeling a little forced. See, I felt like it was a very little bit of action and a whole lot of standing around and reacting. It was, but regardless, I am a huge sucker. This is a very pretty comic book, and I love Bendis' dialogue. I'm giving it a buy it. I think it is a poorly paced comic book disguised with very snappy dialogue. I'm not going to say poorly. It's a skim it I'm going to say strangely paced. I'm going to say poorly paced. Okay. Power Rangers Pink, number one from Boom. I don't give two f***s about the Power Rangers, but I got sucked into this issue by the very striking cover by Elsa Chartier. Chartier. It's really gorgeous. This story picks up sometime after Kimberly, the Pink Ranger, retired from the group, but a monstrous menace in the town where her family lives draws her back into the game. I can't deny it. The story from Batgirls, Brendan Fletcher, and Gems, Kelly Thompson, is silly and fun. And the art by Daniel DiNiculo, it's really nice. Despite my own lack of interest, I have to admit that I enjoyed Power Rangers Pink number one. And I'm giving it a buy. Let's just stop real quick and think about the fact that we have now given two Power Rangers comics two glowing reviews. <laughs> Boom is kind of killing it on the Power Rangers. Yeah, doing a fine job. That is your ludicrous speed run and blood explosion is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of, you guessed it, a blood explosion <laughs> as seen in the pages of Bolts number one. I can't think of a better way to make it sound. Yeah, really. If you want even more reviews of this week's comics, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out the scourge of the West Coast's dollar bins, Aaron Myers and his ludicrous speed reviews. Everyone has strong opinions of what should happen when a kid falls into a gorilla enclosure. Sure. Kill the kid. This week, a kid actually did fall into a gorilla enclosure. An innocent gorilla... Let the gorilla kill the kid. And an innocent gorilla named Harambi paid the price. Was he going to go ape on that little moron that crawled over not one, but two barriers only to fling himself into a moat? We may never know. Today, we'll be ignoring both screaming parents and animal rights activists and instead talking to some sentient gorillas to get their point of view on what we're calling the Cincinnati incident. Let the kid kill the gorilla? Joe and I have... <laughs> 
it's you, you think it should be a trial by combat. Is that <laughs> you're <what> saying? <laughs> two mammals enter, one mammal leaves. Joe and I have converted the Teach and Sanctum Sanctorum into our very own Crossfire soundstage, where we'll be joined by Gorilla Grodd, Monkey Man, who's actually a gorilla, and Ape from Angel and the Ape to discuss this tragedy and heal the nation. Joe, the show doesn't go live for another five minutes. What do you say? We lift the mood in here, a little discussion of our must-read comic picks for next week. Sounds good. I forgot about Grape Ape. We should have invited Grape, Grape Ape. Ape, yeah. <laughs> Magilla Gorilla. Yeah. Look, you can't invite everybody. No, no, no. My pick for next week is The Flash Rebirth, number one from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, with art by Carmine G. John... Dijon Domenico. Dijon Domenico. Yes. It's 32 pages for $2.99. Here's your solicit. Spinning directly out of the epic events of DC Universe Rebirth number one. The fastest man alive finds himself at the center of a DC Universe at a crossroads. Warning! Do not read this issue until after you read DC Universe Rebirth number one. Wow, we wouldn't want to spoil that Wally's back, would we? What a ridiculous... <laughs> that's a that's a very poor solicit. Yeah, come on. The reason I picked it, other than I love The Flash and Wally's back and I'm very excited, is that Jeff Johns, when asked, he said, if you could pick up... If you could recommend one of the Rebirth titles like as a must-read following the one-shot, what would it be? And he, without hesitation, said, The Flash. I could see that. I think it's going to pick up a lot of the threads that the rebirth one shot left dangling sure and some of the answers that we're looking for may start occurring in the flash book i'm looking forward to it i'd like to read the flash again and wally makes you feel funny in your pants wally makes me feel funny in my heart oh sorry heart whatever uh however the flash's costume still has all those ridiculous lines all over it which i don't like but we'll see i love the artist okay matt what's your pick after the huge success of future quest and what i would call the big stinking it was Scooby-Doo. The baffling existence of Scooby <laughs> Apocalypse. <laughs> I am morbidly excited for Wacky Raceland, number one from DC, written by Ken Pontac, with art by Leonardo Manco. 32 would you, pages. Would you call yourself super morbidly curious? <laughs> yes, super morbidly curious. <laughs> for three ninety nine. Here's your solicit. The world has ended, but the race has just begun. Penelope Pitstop, Peter Perfect, and the rest of the Wacky Racers vie for the finish in a contest where the winner takes all, and second place is death! Today's what? trial. What a ripoff. Yeah, I know. Why would you even? You're like, you know what? <laughs> Don't no, even join the play. You know, uh, no, thanks. Today's trial, the shattered maze of freeways known as the Uber Pass, where they're beset by giant sand beasts, mutated insects, and worst of all, Dick Dastardly's murderously poor sportsmanship. Wow. What a jerk. The last thing they needed after surviving the race is a brutal bar fight and a local dive. But that's just what they get. I feel like the bar fight is probably the least terrifying part of that solicit. <laughs> like maybe you lead with that. They get in a bar fight and then giant insects, you know, <laughs> I just don't know. I, I mean, we were excited for this when we first, we're about 50, 50 on the hand Barbera Renaissance. It. Yeah. And I don't know, man, I saw the Leonardo Manco cover and went, Oh boy. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Like this Dick Dastardly has got this long hair and these steampunky goggles. Yeah. We'll see. I kind of wish he was just the cartoon versions in this ridiculous. (laughs) But like super serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The THN trade of the week goes to the Black Dahlia hardcover from Arkea, Boom Studios slash Arkea, with a story by James Elroy, David Fincher, and Mats with a Z. He's like Sting. Yeah. Art is by Miles Hyman. It's 168 pages for $29.99. It's a hardcover. Okay. 
It's an archive, fancy yeah, archive. Yeah, yeah. It's fancy. Here's your solicit. LAPD investigators Bucky Bleichert and Lee Blanchard find themselves enthralled with the mysterious and brutal murder of a beautiful young woman, Elizabeth Short. Blanchard and Blanchard sounds like an ambulance chasing like, lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> like yes. law office, you know. Have you been injured recently in a workplace? Blanchard and Blanchard, LLP. Their obsession takes a dark turn as they delve into the underbelly of Hollywood and the heart of the dead woman's tortured and twisted past. It is a case that will test their mettle and their sanity. This gripping graphic novel adaptation of the highly acclaimed book by James Elroy delves deeply into one of the most haunting unsolved crimes in American history. Uh, point of order. I solved the Black Dahlia murders in the video game L.A. Noir, so I already know how it oh. is. Oh, okay. Award-winning filmmaker David Fincher and acclaimed storyteller Matts, who worked on something called The Killer. Oh, The Killer! Yeah! Is that graphic novel series yes. from Europe. It's supposed to be wonderful. It is supposed to be wonderful. They worked at length to preserve much of Elroy's original dialogue while bringing the stark images of 1940s L.A. to full living color with illustrator Miles Hyman. David Fincher is working on the comic book? That's weird, right? Oh, uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, but James Elroy... Yeah. awesome writer sure come on i just think like it's got uh it's got some names attached to it that you would not normally see associated with comics and i find that very curious and very interesting this is a super famous story too very famous and archaea makes beautiful books beautiful hardcovers yeah. so i think it's gonna be pretty decent all right joe we go live in 30 let's remember sentient apes angry moms and animal rights activists are watching so temper is gonna flare oh and remember Keep the banana jokes to a minimum. Why don't you nerds head over to the THN forums and tell us who should have died in that gorilla cage and what you're planning on reading next week. And we are live in three, two. Man and monkey collide in Cincinnati with deadly results. Seriously? What did I say? I called the monkeys. They're great apes, Joe. Look, let's just go to commercial, okay? <laughs> It's the first show of the month, and that's when Matt and I like to try brand new segments. This time, we're debuting Power Trip. Our very own forum mainstay, Black Scorpion the Three, suggested this one, and it goes a little something like this. He asks that we examine the use of a particular superpower in comics, the tropes that accompany it, and rate it according to practicality. Would you want this power in real life? Power level slash usefulness compared to other abilities in the superhero realm. And... How characters with different subsets from the same power genre stack up against each other. That's going to make more sense when we start talking. Uh, yeah. This week, in honor of our beautiful blue bejeweled goddess Mystique returning to theaters in X-Men Apocalypse. As a good guy, for some reason. Call back to last <laughs> week's show. There we go. We are taking a look at shapeshifting. Let's get into it. All right. So, shapeshifting. Right. For those, uh, just for posterity, we will... Clarify first. Clarify that shapeshifting means the ability to transform from one thing, usually a humanoid, right, into another. But let's define it further and say several other things. Several other things. Right. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, so you can look like Matt Baum. You can look like Joe Patrick. You right. can look like Jennifer Lawrence. This is not to you say that like when Bruce Banner turns into the Hulk, he is shape-changing. No. Right. When Ant-Man becomes Giant-Man, is he shape-changing? Right. I say no. When Bruce Banner becomes the Hulk, is he shape-changing? I say no. Okay. Tough one. Reed Richards. No. But he can make his body like look like shapes. Like, he can turn into an eight ball. But Reed Richards can't make himself look like Dr. Doom. Fair enough. He's just shifting. That's all. 
Okay. I think there's another he's word. He's stretching. I'm sorry. He's stretching. There's a word for what Reed can do other than just stretchy. He's a stretcho. He's a stretcho. Yeah. Yes. That's the one. He's a stretcho. So we're talking about the ability to change your appearance completely into humanoid and non-humanoid shapes. If Mystique wanted it to look like that keyboard on your desk, she probably could do it. Okay. According to the Marvel Wiki, wear forms as a shapeshifter, like rain. I think that that is a subset of shape changing. So let's talk about the subsets of shape changing. They they include you've got the catch alls like right. Mystique and morph from the exiles. Sure, they change into anything, anything they want. Then you've got um, very specific shape changing like uh, Wolfsbane. I really don't count that as shape changing, but she does turn into a werewolf. But yeah, and I mean, also a wolf like and a person. Wolf. That's two things. Yeah, you're right. So you've got your wolves, Banes, your beast boys that can shape change, but only into different animals. Right. Snowbird. Okay. And then you've got characters like the Wonder Twins. Uh, one of them can only turn into different sorts of water things. And the other one is like water based mammals. Uh, no, I think they can turn. She can turn into anything. No, it's any other animal. It's pretty much just animals that swim around or live near water. Like I don't she thinks so. she could be a polar bear no, because she changes into birds. Does she? I think so. But isn't it always like an ocean like dwelling bird? Like I don't think pelican? it's specifically water. Based. Okay. Well, I, I think, think it's animal form and water form. Okay. I think she is essentially beast boy. I'm going to look that up. You keep going. So I guess we're doing this in reverse order since we brought up the other types of shape changing. How would we compare the three? For me, if you're going to have shape changing powers, you want to, you want to go full mystique. Am I wrong? You want to be able to do it all. Oh yeah. Jaina can transform into any animal, whether real mythological indigenous to earth or to some oh, other planet. Cause they were aliens like beast boy. She must vocalize her choice of form to assume. No, beast boy does not have to vocalize. It says like beast boy. Choice. I don't know. Oh no, I'm sorry. That was the end of the sentence. Indigenous to earth or some other planet like beast boy. Okay. Since like, muskrat. <laughs> <laughs> Since she must vocalize her choice. <laughs> Earwig. <laughs> Yuck. Oh, no. <laughs> Tapeworm. God. Oh. She, she just has to know the common name. She doesn't have to, like, you know. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Naming the wrong animal will cause her to assume the wrong animal's form. She has been mm. known to take the form of anything from an ant to a whale. Whoa. Yeah, but they do need a, an episode citation for that. So, I don't know. I've had, somebody <laughs> thinks it happened. So, let's go back to where we were. So if you're gonna if you're gonna get a shape changing ability, you definitely want to have the full mistake. Yeah, you want to go full shape changing. You want to be you want to be able to turn into an earwig, a whale, and Wolverine. Barack Obama. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> now, how does this power stack up against other super powered characters? Okay, back, back, got, let's, let's back up. Mystique, real quick. Yeah, she can't change into something as big as a whale. No, I don't think so. I think like, she has to change into something of roughly the same mass right she sort of shifts her mass however to do stuff but she can make clothes eyeglasses well that's the question right wolverine she's claws not, that aren't actual claws but they do come out of her you know whatever like she's she can not do that wearing stuff. so does that mean she's not actually wearing clothes i guess not it's just flesh that looks like clothes yeah weird because she's not making fabric let's say mystique is undercover at an office right and the inappropriate boss comes in and he starts trying to give her a background. He's like, you're doing a really good job today. Uh, yeah, does he, Susie, he, does he feel her? Does he put his hands suit? on her blouse and, yeah. and, and go, and it's like, it feels like flesh. I mean, I, I don't know. We, we never really got into I mean, that. That was a weird way to illustrate that. 
<laughs> yeah, why'd <laughs> you have to get so creepy with I'm it? Sorry. Jesus. I don't know. I I think that there's a lot of stuff going on with Mystique's power that is not fully yeah. understood. Yeah. That wonder twin that can turn into water, sometimes there's a bucket involved. Right, or a fire hose. Where's that bucket come from? Yeah. <laughs> no sh- <laughs> They might be way more powerful than even we understand. Yeah. So compared to other types of superpowers, you've got people on the same team that, that have devastating eye blasts, that have super powerful telekinesis, super strength, super healing. Is shape changing still a viable power in that scenario? Without a doubt. I agree. Without a doubt. Look at the scrolls. Look at how much they caused you know i mean when right. they impersonated everybody or constantly impersonated everybody they infiltrated the avengers infiltrated the x-men they were all over the place shield yeah they would almost took over the world it's true yeah. that invasion was secret invasion so secret it was super secret yeah no i mean it is but it also depends again on the like the power set you know what i mean like how the power works like we know beast boy when he turns into a bear, he's as strong as a bear. Right? right. Or as fast as a cheetah. Or he can fly like a bird. Mystique, I would say, can't do that. She I can't Mystique, turn into an eagle and fly away. I think she can. I don't think she can. I know that there. I can specifically recall an issue of X Factor where she turns into a winged creature and flies. What? Yeah. See, like I, I would argue like if she turns into Angel... Warren Worthington with wings. She can't fly. I don't know. You know, do we need to pause and look this up? Yeah. Let's quick break. Let's pause. Let's check it out. Okay. So we're going over her powers and it's everything we said. There is something else in the Wikipedia page. It says her body is not limited to purely organic appearances. She can make clothes, zippers, ID cards. She is shown in one instance, transforming a metallic part of her costume into a functioning blaster. Hell pistol. no. Yeah, that is hell no. dumb. And it does say volume and issue needed there. So like, uh, I don't know. So I'm saying as part of the shape shifting package, if she makes her skin look like a leather jacket, it will feel like a leather jacket yeah. on that part of her body. Yes. But it says she does not take on the powers of the people she's in person. Well, yeah, I mean, she can't turn into yeah. a cyclops and have eye beam, but she has moved her vital organs out of place in order to survive gunshots to her torso and head. She can make herself virtually invisible. She has even, with strain, given herself two heads and four arms to facilitate a gunfight on two fronts. She can... As well as shapeshifted into a very heavy small child. (laughs) She can compress into a nearly two-dimensional like sheet of paper and glide on air currents. She can conceal items in shapeshifted pouches under her skin. Ew. Gross! She can now alter and conceal her scent. From those with enhanced senses and is capable of changing her shape to a greater degree, including altering her limbs to form tentacles and bladed weapons. And compress herself into a dock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. So oh, she's powerful. It's, I, I, this almost reads like they just can't decide what she can. But I mean, to me, this this means that if Mystique wants to look like a bird, she can fly like a bird. But it doesn't say that. It says, it, dude, she, if she can make herself into a thin piece of paper and float on the air, she can turn herself into a bird and flap yes, her wings. I, maybe, I guess. I don't know. I would, I would argue she's a little too powerful. <laughs> yes. Oh, I mean, and that just kind of goes with comic writers have a tendency to have a character that has a perfectly fine, well-defined set of powers. Sure. And try to overcomplicate it with really cool sounding things that don't really fit. And I feel like that's happened a little bit to Mystique. Regardless. Would you agree, yes or no, 
Mystique is the most powerful shapeshifter. I think that's safe to say. See, I think Morph is more powerful than Mystique. Okay, what about a uh, Legion guy? DC Chameleon Boy. Chameleon Boy. Um, it's very distinctly stated that Chameleon Boy can look like anything. However, if he makes himself look like a steel door, he is definitely not a steel door. Okay. So there is no trickery beyond appearance. Chameleon Boy can't flap him, his wings and all fly away. Camouflage. No, he can. He's got a flight ring, so yeah. But I mean, he can turn himself into different creatures and 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 fly. But like, I don't know that Chameleon Boy could make himself into a giant because it's not like he can increase his mass. Okay, so in our power scale of one to five, one meaning you're Aunt May and you have a little tiny bit of shape shifting. No, that's not what that means. One means none. It's just on a so scale of one to five. One means none. So dumb. So you would say Mystique. Is a five. I think Mystique is a five on like the shape changing scale. Some of the most powerful shapeshifters out there. Chameleon Boy is probably like a three or four. I think Chameleon Boy is a four. I think that Beast Boy is a four. Beast Boy is a four. I think like the guy that can become just different types of water. Zan and Jaina are stupid probably threes, like maybe? a three. Okay, so Jaina is a four. And Aunt May is, is a three. Aunt May is definitely a one. <laughs> Aunt May is always going to be our base scale. Yep, she's a one. She will be a one <laughs> because she could like change into a smart looking jacket. You know, right? <laughs> well, she can put on a smart looking yeah, jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Ooh, it's chilly outside. <laughs> All right. So let's sum it up by saying, would you want this power in real Absolutely. life? Is it practical? Absolutely. Totally I'd agree. stand in the mirror and just turn into all kinds of sexy naked people. Who wouldn't be want like, the ability yeah. to turn into something that they're not? <laughs> yeah. Look at me, yeah. We would never see Matt Bomb again. I'm Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and I'm robbing this quick shop. You know. <laughs> Thank you for the suggestion, Black Scorpion. Power Trip is definitely going to be a segment we will revisit in the future. It was a ton of fun. If you guys have a power that you would like us to examine in more detail in the Power Trip segment, head to the forums. Yeah, well, I'll put up a little uh, Power Trip. I don't even Sub think. Form. I don't even think they. You need to make a whole form for it. They know how to make topics. Okay, yeah, do it. It's just easier to find it when we do that. But hey, hey, <laughs> you guys know what to do. We don't have to hold your damn hand. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for another enraging episode of THN. If you dig podcasts that infuriate both moms and monkeys, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors. You keep us in high walls and impenetrable gates to keep kids out of the ziggurat. Because we will shoot them. I'll tell you what. <laughs> if you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. And to become a sustaining member, simply check the Make This Donation Monthly box when you donate. Remember, as little as a buck a month really does help. And if you're interested in sponsoring THN, hit us up with an email with a subject line, sponsorship. If you want to yell at us personally, all up in our faces, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com, where you can find links to all of our social media contact info. There, you can find us on Periscope. We're on it right now! You can find us on Twitter. We're always on there. You can find our Nerd at the Movie reviews on YouTube. You can find us on Facebook, where, you know, we do stuff. You can find the Two-Headed Nerd Outtake of the Week on Tumblr, and more importantly, you can find the Ziggurat Hotline. That number, again, 402-819-4894. Write it on a bathroom stall and write for a good time call. And don't forget to use that number to answer the question of the week, but you can use it for more than that. You can call in with all kinds of stuff. 
any of our segments, you can call in and play along. Totally. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to friend of THN, Josh Howell, writer of The Fierce Are Fading. After Underbelly Comics backed out of publishing his graphic novel, Josh went out and formed his own damn publishing house to ensure that his books gets printed and his Kickstarter backers don't get left in the dust. Josh, you're one of the good ones. Word to you, buddy. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might only start stocking Canadian funny books. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Nothing but Captain Canuck for miles. I guess so. (laughs) 